Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Turn the Mic On podcast. It is I, your favorite podcast host, Mikey Watkins. That's right. He, him, and Beyonce are my pronouns. Please come correct, y'all. I just don't have time to play with nobody. But today we have, like, another episode where I'm highlighting amazing Black women and what they're doing and how they're pursuing their interests. So, uh, let's get into this. Today, I have an amazing guest, someone that I've never actually met in person, but she holds a piece of my heart just because of the conversation and the energy that we give to each other. She's small and mighty, but she has a mouth on her that's typically backed by facts, and her creativity and humor is just phenomenal and out of this world. I present to you Jamila. Jamila Bell. You might see her on YouTube. You may know her gif of her eating that chip, honey. <laughs> know her as the owner of her own production company known as Ringabell Productions. Welcome, Jamila. How are you? I am doing so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so honored. Everybody says they're honored, but I'm just like, y'all are the honor, y'all. Like, y'all are making this what it is. Like, I'm so happy I'm y'all like, you know, to do Oh my it. gosh, you want to talk to me? Oh my gosh, okay. Why would I talk to y'all on the regular time? <laughs> like, y'all know y'all my people. Like, you want to talk to me and then, like, make it public? Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> That's because you dropped gems on the regular, so I had <laughs> to record it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, no. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll try. Well, you do it very well. I mean, and honestly, that's why I wanted you on this podcast because you're so intelligent. Like, you just, I stand you from apartment. I say it a lot, but I be standing like, yes, Jamila. Yes, girl. Yes. Drag them. Get it. Like, shoot, you even be dragging me, but I don't be saying that. Like, about the political stuff, I'll be like, ooh, she's right. Let me shut up. <laughs> Stay in my corner. You are funny. No, you're funny. But I want to, um, you know, get into this flow of things. So, like, uh, typically here we do a positive and negative, so I would love for you to share your positive. It can be anything that's going great, you know. What's the <laughs> Um... <laughs> positive, positive, positive. Um, <laughs> um, I'll try and keep it simple. Um, let's see what's going on that's positive. Um, I have not been contracted with con- with COVID. Yes, since amen. the pandemic started. Um, and I've known several people that have been. So I said that's a positive. You know, knowing knowing me and knowing my asthma. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am thankful that I have not contracted that illness. Um, And I've been, honestly, even though the pandemic has been very kind of in, I feel like I've gotten so much closer to just like my family and friends in this Mm -hmm. time. And um, it's just been a different level of appreciation for certain people. And I've been able to kind of really see um what I want and it's kind of made me focus a little bit more on my goals outside of you know the mundane jobs I may take you know what is my outlook and what am I really trying to pursue and so it's allowed me to kind of focus a little bit more so I'll say those are my positives well those are amazing like I mean I can definitely agree with you on the getting close to like family like when I first went home for the pandemic child lord knows I wanted to be safe but you know after being home for a while honey that's something different but I appreciated it because it reminded me of my core of like who I am and I feel like with social media and just adulting we are molded and often take on things from society that aren't you know home to us and 
yeah, home just like centers me again. Like I'm glad to be going back home in the next couple weeks because <laughs> way to get the fuck, okay? Right. But um, my positive, I would say for the week is, um, oh my God, I said introspection one week. I would say coffee because honestly, you know, mm. coffee has gotten me through. I know a lot of people are anti-coffee. I'm drinking some coffee right now, I but like, I, I don't know how people don't like coffee because I literally it, it gets me through the workday. Like you said, mundane yeah. jobs, just doing shit you don't want to do. Like it's that. Like I mean, if I did cocaine, it would be this. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, it's that one real quick hit. <laughs> All right, let's get started. <laughs> A little bump real quick. Yeah, that's a little bump. <laughs> the bump for the sip. You know, that's how I be using it. I'm dead. Nah, yeah, like, that's my positive. Because, like, honestly, like, as you said, like, taking on mundane jobs and just doing stuff just for the sake of surviving is not really my beat. And as I do it more and more, I'm just like, I really got to find what it is I want to do with my life because this can't be it. And but mm-hmm. for now, coffee going to get us through it. Coffee okay. or cocaine. Okay. Whatever is your Come preference. On. all right so let's talk about negatives now i always say we shouldn't complain because there's so much to be grateful for but if we could complain what would you complain about today uh god one thing about me i have a list of complaints (laughs) at all times and i'm trying to be better at that but you know that's just me maybe it's the gemini in me um Today, you know, I'm still seeing, you know, people just not really understand colorism. And it's just kind of at this point, at this point, there is literally no more excuses. And I'm going to start calling you stupid. I agree. You know, I'm trying to be patient, but that, that is gone. And at this point, I'm going to start calling you stupid mm-hmm. and moving on. Um, so that's a negative that I'm still seeing. And it's such an embarrassment as a light-skinned woman. <laughs> I face so much embarrassment from my, my girls and guys. And it's like, listen, stop that's it. Just So that's one negative. And I'll say, of course, I think the elephant in the room negative is like this election. It's exhausting, period. Uh, it's exhausting <laughs> like every single day every single hour mm-hmm. there is something new to disgust you it's mm-hmm. like god please just take me to next year take me to next year if it's only, better. right right only if it's better if it gets worse baby i'm gonna just sit my ass right on that <laughs> It's just like, I cannot even believe. And it's like, it's what's crazy is come November 4th when we have those results, if we have them, because I know, you know, they have a lot of mail-in ballots, but if we have the results by November 4th, I don't know what's going to be worse as far as the crowd reaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Either way, something's burning. Either way, they burning something down. I'm going to be in the house watching on CNN. Look, just like when they was doing the protest and they broke the CNN window and it was getting fixed the less than 12 hours later, I'll be doing the same thing. Because one thing about it is, um, at this point, like, at first I was kind of anti, like, destroying shit, especially in, like, the lower income communities, because I'm like, we're destroying mm-hmm. our own resources, like, because yeah. it's already food deserts here. But, like, now I'm just kind of like, fuck it. 
at this point, do what y'all want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do in terms of like, you know, that's not my beat being out on the front lines, but I'm going to support you from afar because guess what? Listen. Y'all, at this point, we all fed up and y'all just look bolder really, than me. I really, truly realized that there's levels to this activism shit. It is very much levels to and this shit. I, it's, it's so easy to judge people who are on the front lines, but there are people who do this for real mm-hmm. that I'm just like, oh, maybe I'm not on your level, but that's okay because we kind of need y'all. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think maybe I'm a lazy activist or something. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. I don't want tear gas. I don't want rubber bullets. I'm okay with that. that. And okay it's like people who are so willing to die for the revolution. And I just, I so respect that. No, you really tweeted that this morning and I was going to be like, hell no. <laughs> no, no, no. Hell no. I, I, I'm tweeting it. I hope everyone knows that I'm saying no. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, hell no. No. I'm just like, wow, this is so crazy. Like, people are really out here willing to die about that and I, I kudos to you but I, I think we need those like you said because there are so many of us that are not willing to die for it like um, in new york there's been a lot there's been there's still protests going on like um yeah. they did something for stonewall it was a trans black trans uh, liberation protest or it was like mm-hmm. an outdoor ball but like there's still constant protests going on in new york um and i commend them because i don't have the energy it's getting cold you know police officers or whoever is driving cars into innocent protesters, even though that's their right to fucking yeah. protest. Uh, it's scary. I, I don't have the time. I'd and rather... Right. Like, I, honest, I, <laughs> like, I talk a lot of shit on Twitter, but I am petrified, honestly, like, yeah. just even I went to the um, South. one of the protests this summer, um, you know, in the, the height of all the protests, um, we were in Atlanta, and um, as we went, this was right after they um, put out the curfews. And this was mm-hmm. during the time when literally every protest, they were getting tear gassed, rubber bullets, mm-hmm. beaten up. It was every single protest. So as we're there, and it starts getting later and later, me and my two friends were like, <laughs> um, it's time to go. Like, you can immediately feel the shift Mm-hmm. in in the energy because when i tell you one minute everything's cool we're chanting everyone's having you know that moment like wow civil rights yes justice and it and then maybe 30 seconds later you look at the police they've gotten closer they now have gas masks on i mean i didn't even see them putting them on it it happened so quick and it got real so quick My and I was like, okay. And then as we started to kind of distance ourselves, because we were at the front of the the little blockade, and I was like, maybe we should kind of back up, you know? <laughs> so we started to kind of back up and distance ourselves, and we wanted to go ahead and make our way to the car because we knew the curfew was coming. And what they were doing was they started to arrest people um, and do all kind of, it was crazy. We noticed that they were actually blocking the protesters in so that they could not leave in, for the time of the protest. And then they were all getting whoever bullets gas arrested i'm like see i'm going to the car you know me and my crew everybody that rode with me let's go we out (laughs) we leaving now car y'all i was like nah yeah it's crazy though but they said i was like wow like i mean they were staying then people 
came prepared with shields and face protect like they came prepared for this they were not afraid like they were standing there like all right we already know what y'all about to do let's get ready then like it was like war it was crazy i'm like wow i mean wow i mean essentially like and this is kind of like my conspiracy theory i definitely think a civil war number two may be coming soon um <laughs> yeah, we are so close we are so close. and i think so this election close. might push it over the edge just because mm-hmm. there's so much riding on it and so much discrepancy that has happened uh like it's just ridiculous like just leading up to it like the voter suppression has been real too real to ignore like you can you cannot sit here and say that eight hour lines for voting is not voter suppression you cannot that say that sense. but then in affluent areas people walking in and out in 20 minutes right like and why aren't these people able to go to these areas like i i, I get like certain district because you have to vote for different um, delegates and stuff but like in terms of the general election you should be able to drop it off at any voting location that's the quickest because why not like what is the issue and mind you this is early voting some people are going to wait till election day to vote god bless some those people, people only get off because you know a lot of jobs don't even allow you to take off unless it's actually um election right. day it's just being is it's it's bad it's really bad Man, that is super negative. Like, that is a whole, <laughs> that's layered negative. <laughs> oh okay, we went in on the negs. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to just co-sign on that one because that's my negative too because that shit is real. <laughs> can't stop that one. Wow. Oh, my God. Mm, Jesus. But, yeah, all in all, great day. <laughs> all in all, happy Saturday. The sun is shining. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm breathing. <laughs> <laughs> y'all I love you bro okay let's move on to like a more positive note let's talk about you and your career and like it's interesting so like it's so crazy so for y'all that don't know Jamila is a YouTube sensation she has subscribers she has fans that's why she has a gym she's an actress like producer director all in one um so let's talk about your YouTube career like how did that come about like why did you start a YouTube channel like how did you know that like is that like where you discovered that you like acting in the film industry like let's explore that it's crazy because it was none of that actually um (laughs) it kind of just it kind of really just happened so I kind of got into YouTube around 2011 um this is when the natural hair movement um -hmm. in YouTube was like big like it's when a lot of people were breaking the chains of the perms <laughs> and they started to just do a lot. There was a lot of YouTubers on there showing how to do a lot of natural hairstyles. And I've always had natural hair, but I also never did it. <laughs> it was always in a good little puff, a good little bun. So I started watching a lot of YouTube. Like I got obsessed with YouTube at that mm-hmm. point. And, um, you know, once you're on YouTube, you kind of just go on different rabbit holes. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what happened. I went on a whole bunch of different rabbit holes and saw a whole bunch of different random YouTube things and just kind of was like, wow, I just really like YouTube. And um, I was like, I kind of want to make a video, but I don't know like, what I'm to talk about. Because at that, that point in time, YouTube was also the um, the place where people were doing just random skits and stuff, like just mm-hmm. a whole bunch of little skits. And at that time, I was in high school. So I was like, okay, we... Um, 
I was on vacation in Texas with my family and me, my brother, my sister, and my cousin, we just did the most stupid little video, like a little trailer video, edited with my little iMovie that my dad had on his <laughs> MacBook. And we just put it out there and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're so stupid. Like we just thought it was so funny. And from there, me and my brother just wanted to do skits. Like we was just doing skits. I don't know. We just, we always just be acting a fool in the house. <laughs> so we just put that on camera. And I kid you not, the way that that first video went viral shook us to the core because we had no way of knowing it would happen. Like when we made my YouTube, I had no subscribers. I had nobody looking at my channel. Like, and at that time, the YouTube algorithm was a lot more organic. (laughs) Um, It was so much easier to kind of get success from there. Now you have to really like, mathematics and Uh all these problem solving it's so annoying um it went viral so quickly that we were like wait what we were shook like Uh it was going so like the numbers were just going up and up and up and we knew we had like a million um views on it so we were like oh maybe we should make another one so we just kept doing sequels and just kept doing parts and they just kept like the numbers just kept going up like and then um, from there, you know, with the views came subscribers. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> let me um, keep doing stuff. So I just kept, I just did whatever came to my mind. Like whatever video I wanted to do, I would just do it. And um, that's pretty much how the YouTube thing started. Just out of me being silly. And I guess I was like that. Hell yeah, you see all these damn TikToks going viral. It's that humor that gets people places. Don't like want no bland shit, even if it's a serious right. topic, you know what I'm saying? Like, but that makes so much sense because I remember when I was like heavily in, I had a YouTube channel. I used to post YouTube videos, I used to vlog, but they're all private now. I had braces, very, <laughs> very dark times. <laughs> and I remember doing that. It was like, like I would get views here and there, but like, I remember the videos that went viral were like the Glozells and the, talk to guys Shane Dawson and shit because the shit was mm-hmm. little skits that were hilarious and people could watch. I don't know if you remember this white guy. He had this like alter ego named Kelly and they made a song called Shoes. So like that was very viral mm-hmm. during that time and shit. So that like makes so much sense about the humor being the key to like going viral and organic. Cause like, like yeah. you said, YouTube is so many rabbit holes. So it has to catch your interest. It has to make you want to come back. Yeah. So, like, that's so funny because I would have never thought that was the start. Like, just, it was just fucking around. It wasn't even strategic at all. It was Literally just like, like... I mean, those videos, when I tell you we had no script, <laughs> we was literally like I mean they're you know the titles of them are black parents versus white parents so we were literally making fun of our parents <laughs> and our white friends parents that we actually knew like but we of course would you know heighten it but mm-hmm. it was real stuff like we was just being authentic like we thought that she was hilarious like we thought it sh- we thought that she was hilarious beyond anybody we didn't care what y'all thought we was practicing <laughs> making fun of my mama <laughs> and so the fact that other people thought it was funny, it was like, dang, okay, well, come on, wreck it up then. Run that shit up. Run that shit up, Quay, right? <laughs> okay, listen. I love it. I love it. So, with would you say, like, that experience with YouTube and creating those skits, skits, even though they were for fun and for your humor, kind of, like, catered your interest towards the film industry? Or, like, where did that come from? 
Definitely. So I've always been a very theatrical person. I've always been into, um, you know, creativity and the arts, but I've, I'm also, you know, a Gemini and I have many ideas and I'm just all over the place. Like, um, when I originally went to school at Hampton, I was a biology major. What? I never knew this. Biology? It was changed day one. It was changed day one. Day one. Um, yeah, I got admitted in as a biology major, which is hilarious. I had every intention of then going to medical school and becoming a plastic surgeon. That was my <laughs> track. Like, I was so serious on that. But what's funny is, and I don't think my parents even know this, the reason I wanted to be a plastic surgeon so bad is because I watched this show, Nip Tuck. <laughs> oh my bitch, I've seen that shit. I just wanted to be a part, like, I just wanted to be. Just, you know, not mm-hmm. really understanding, okay, this is going to be hard. You know, do you really, really want to do this? I kid you not, day one in, um, in biology, I said, I'm changing my major. <laughs> so I changed my major. And I was like, I think I'm going to do theater instead. And I changed my major to theater. Um, and not just because it was easier, but because I genuinely loved to do stuff like that. Like, I didn't exactly know what I was going to end up doing at that point. But I knew for damn sure what was going to be on the medical side. I knew mm-hmm. I needed to... I needed to tap into who I really was. Mm-hmm. And I think also that was coming from like pressure from like my family. Like as soon as I said I wanted to be a plastic surgeon, they were like, hell yeah, like whoop, whoop, whoop. And I'm like, damn, I'm stuck. So, <laughs> but um, I think once I switched to theater, like nobody was surprised. Mm-hmm. They were like, I mean, that yeah, makes good sense. job. Great. <laughs> so yeah, I did that. And then um, it kind of just, once, once I started studying theater and started immersing myself in that, um, in that field, it just kind of transformed into what I'm doing now. It kind of just kind of just started studying more and it really truly just developed who I was. And um, yeah. Okay. So we went to Hampton, got into theater and then kind of transformed. So like in between like where you are now and that part, Mm-hmm. Of, like change your major what would you say like some steps that you, like were you doing research were you constantly like were you just practicing writing scripts and stuff like what yeah. all like because I, I feel like you do a little bit of everything between acting directing producing yeah. like so it's funny because when I had to transfer I was so pissed because I'm like this is not in my plans right girl, I did not plan for this um but you know mm-hmm. didn't also have the check to complete the um, Hampton Way. Hampton Way. Um, to... Okay, listen, let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to um, switch and, and, and go to a different school. So I came back home to Georgia um, and I was going to go to Georgia State. However, I knew immediately I did not want to be a theater major at Georgia State simply because Georgia State is a PWI. Uh-huh. And I knew that we were going to be studying white theater. Uh-huh. And that did not interest me one bit. Okay. And as, as, as <laughs> that's literally what it was. I did not want to study white theater from a white teacher and be taught whitewashed acting. That's what it was. I was mm-hmm. like, so I'm going to need to see what else I got. So 
I was like, okay, they have a film department and it's Atlanta, you know, the new Hollywood. That's great. So I transitioned to a film major and I kept my journalism uh, minor, which is what I had from when I was in um, Hampton. I kept that minor because I, I really enjoyed that as a minor. I feel like that really gave me some structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I began to study film, it was in my film history class, I instantly knew that I needed to be a part of the film industry um, because of the way we studied it. There was a list of 100 films that we looked at, and it was considered to be the top 100 films ever produced, ever made. And this was made by the Academy. Mm-hmm. There was one black film on there. I know you lying. What film was it? Do the Right Thing. And it felt like such a slap in the face almost. It was kind of, it almost seemed like um, a joke, you know, like, and then of course, of all the movies you pick, Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Like, Like, we got y'all, you know, um, and one black director. Same movie, (laughs) clearly. So um, that struck me as odd because knowing me and knowing the Black-ass household I come from, of course, I've seen so many Black films and so many amazing Black films. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Um, And at the top of the list was The Birth of a Nation, one of the most racist movies to ever be created. (laughs) So that like really shaped what um how the industry is right now honestly Mm -hmm. yeah um white people get critically acclaimed they get the awards they get the praise and black people are nowhere to be found um and our our art is seen as b-list like it's just not important um when we started to study directions and things like that it was a Spike Lee chapter about this big. And he's the only black director we talked about. The only one. Wow. To the point where I'm like, damn, is are there any others? Like, why are we not talking? <laughs> where are these folks at? Um, and it was just like, it was crazy to me. And I would always try and squeeze in black art whenever we had, you know, opinion pieces or we had the opportunity to then essay. I would always try and choose black films to write on and my grades would reflect that are you serious dead serious and one thing i know about me is i'm a great writer i've always been an excellent writer i may not do great in all the other aspects but i'm a great writer so (laughs) to grade my writing low knowing and me knowing in my spirit that in my spirit knowing that it's because i chose a a black film to write on it was it was a mess um i really did not enjoy the film um, department there, Georgia State. I think it was so lackluster. We did not actually talk a lot about the industry. Um, but from that, I knew that I didn't want to just act because acting, in a sense, in the film industry is an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the low level. It's as low as you can go almost. Um, I needed to be making decisions because even being an actor in a lot of great movies, because there's a lot of great black actors who continually act for racist movies or movies with these caricatures and they're still not being, these stories are still not being told correctly. And that's because 
everybody else is white. The directors mm. are white. The writing room is for damn sure white. Hell the producers yeah. are white. So that's when I started to get the idea that I wanted to be more than just an actress. Like I wanted to create the stories. So that's kind of how that became. And I kind of started to study from then. It wasn't until I took my senior seminar class, which is not a requirement, by the way. Um, it was chosen by me. There's like a, a list of senior seminars that you can take. Mm-hmm. And one of them was specifically studying black film. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to take this. That was the only time in my five years of going to Georgia State that we talked about black directors, black movies that exceeded beyond Spike Lee and Do the Right Thing. I kid you not. Like my mind was like... <sighs> I had no idea of some of these people that ever even existed. Mm-hmm. And when you, and then when you started to say like, oh, wow, I've seen your inspiration. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, how you've inspired so many, you know, modern day films and modern day things, but never heard of you before. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. It, just even you saying that is so crazy to me because when I think of black directors, Spike Lee, obviously everyone, it's, you know, it's the token Negro, just like right. you Friend groups, like, he's the acceptable one. Like, this is the Black director, like, outside of everything. He's the one mm-hmm. that we like. This one will acknowledge. I took a film criticism class my senior year, the fall semester. And um, I remember, what is his name? He directed If Bill Street, If Bill Street Could Talk. He also directed Moonlight. Uh, I can't think of his name. But I know, based on his direction, it was very powerful because he does a lot of um, in-your-face shots, like, really looking mm-hmm. to your eyes because he believes, like, the eyes are the windows to the soul. And I'd never heard of him before, or I guess I'd seen his movies but never knew who the director was. Yeah. Simply because, like you said, they're not talked about. Like, Spike Lee is a household name. There are plenty of, like you said, Black movies, but are the directors and the staffing black? We acknowledge them as black because, yeah, they pulled this from Black History, Black Life. But yeah. are the people on the set black? That's why this don't. Like when we watch the movies, like mm, this so, something ain't right about it. Like mm, we wouldn't have said that. Right, like who the that. fuck? That was, that was weird. Right, yeah. like like I see what they were trying to do, but that's not all accurate, and that's so crazy because. I'm not even surprised. I don't even know why every time I hear like black people are getting their due diligence, I'm just like, wow, are you fucking serious? Because we're not, so, it's not a surprise at this point. Like black people are so like so many aspects of it. Um, just yeah. of life where we don't get credit, but we're the, we're the blueprint. But you're it's, not going to get credit. It's crazy. It. Yeah, that, that class really opened my mind. Um, I was like, I was literally in awe every class and I genuinely enjoyed it because for once as an aspiring black filmmaker, I saw myself like, and people really just, when I say people, I mean whites, (laughs) don't understand how important representation is because they've always had it. And representation is so important because it will really make you question yourself and your ability, knowing like, damn, well, why aren't there any black filmmakers? Like, maybe I need to just be a little actress. Maybe I need to be typecast. Maybe I need to be Taraji. You know, maybe I... With the red hair. (laughs) You know, no shade. Love Taraji. Um... Maybe I need to just stay in my lane. And it's really discouraging for so many Black filmmakers who are trying to make it and they just don't see anybody like them. But the fact that there are those people out there, the fact that there's an entire Black film movement outside of Black exploitation films, mm-hmm. 
I'm talking about there's an entire movement of black art, black experimental films. Like it's insane. And they're, it's completely damn near erased from history. We don't even know these people. Like we don't even know their names and they contributed so much and people are still biting from them. Still biting. Child, that, that like hurts to know because I imagine like, I mean, I've always seen myself, you know, on the screens, right? <laughs> imagine if I saw more of myself. Cause I mean, that's something like I experienced. That's part of the reasons why like I'm pursuing like communications in like this field because I've never seen someone that looks like me calling the big shot. At my job now, more or less, um, there's no black people on my team. Like there was one black guy, but he was a creative. Mm. So he was on multiple um, brands. And so like on my direct team, like the people I talk to with the regular are not black. Um, and it's kind of hard because, you know, as black people in any working industry, we kind of have to put on this face. That's not our true face, the face that's appropriate, the face that's like overly enthusiastic. Because if we show that attitude, once we, we're acting black, we have a bad attitude, we're it's angry. A it's a wrap. Yeah. So you kind of have to, I noticed for me, like, Cause when I get irritated, like that's it. I don't want to hear that. I want to talk to nobody and not doing this. So I kind of have to constantly be mm -hmm. super positive and it, it, it would be so much better and so much easier to be myself and let my emotions show. Because if, if there was like people that look like me on my team, cause I could go to them like, yo, tell me why so-and-so said this to me. And somebody said this, like, it's not actually, like, how do I approach this as a black person? Like, how do I come off and state my case and express yes. my frustration without, you know, coming off as that black person, right? And I think, Circling back yeah. to representation in general, if I saw more people and saw people doing it, I wouldn't be scared to do it. And I wouldn't be doubting myself on what I would want to do. So like, I think that's fucking ridiculous that a whole movement outside of the black exploitation movement because they love hyping that up. Not that it was bad, but if there's more, because there's, so there's so much of our history that is we don't know about, that is just like gone, like, oh, this happened. By, by the way, there was a black Wall Street. We bombed that. Don't worry about right. it. You need to know that. What? You said there's they a mean, black Wall Street. You know. Right. There's, there's several black it's, civilizations it's in this country. Oh, we blew them all up. You don't need to know about that in history. That's not necessary. Let's focus on America. America. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Let me not, because this is get real political real quick. We're not doing that today. Listen, so we can go there. We can. I don't, because it ruins my vibe. All right. So... <laughs> Like you said, um, you said actors are like the employees. So speaking of employment, what made you decide to start your own production company instead of like going, you know, LA or Atlanta and yeah. Cal Perry Studios, for instance, and getting like a PA job or if you're trying to become a scriptwriter or a screenwriter? Like what made you want to start your own? Like, let's talk about that. Um, so a couple of things contributed to that. So I knew I wanted to start my own production company, but I always kind of had it in my mind that that was down the line. That was something mm -hmm. I just was going to wait to do until I established my career, blah, blah, blah. Um, as I was trying to, you know, seek employment after college, you know, that whole thing, um, mm -hmm. I realized quickly it is not that easy. At all. Um, it is not easy to break into the film industry at all. It is, it's almost like trying to be employed by Delta Airlines. It's tight. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You got to get in where you fit in. Um, so there was that. There was also the case of if I wanted to just be a PA, 
um, I could do that very easily. Um, there's a lot of, you know, PA positions or being like an extra on the thing, but they do not pay shit. Mm-hmm. And I got big girl bills. You know, I got, you know, rent, you know, car payments, insurance, all them, you know, all them things. So as much as I would love to be an extra on a series or, you know, um, on a movie set, just so I can be on set and be, you know, in that atmosphere, um, because I, I, I'm a sucker for experience. I know that I can't afford also to take a month off of work to do that Hello. for $5 a day or whatever the hell they pay rate is, which is low. Um, being an extra does not pay well at all. It literally pays minimum wage. And again, I have big girl bills. <laughs> um, you know, same with being a PA. It's, it's like, it's almost like being an intern and a lot of PAs are interns and don't get paid. Big girl bills. So, um, big girl bills. So yeah, so that's kind of where mom was at. Um, I met someone who worked at Tyler Perry Studios through um, just working. Um, she came into my job and we kind of just started talking from there. She gave me her card. She was actually an um, executive assistant for one of the executive producers. And I'm like, girl, um, you know, because that's a great place to you know, to get your foot in the door and really get that, you know, experience working, you know, for a major production company. Because although I do have my woes with Tyler, he has a major production company, like major. (laughs) And he has major respect in the film industry. So, you know, working for him would be great. Um, And I communicate with her on and off for two years straight now, still have her communications, have yet to have anything come from that. And I'm not necessarily blaming her because I still appreciate her still being able to reach out to me, you know, us keeping in contact with that. But nothing's come about that. And again, everything is its very discouraging. So what's funny is when the pandemic hit, I got laid off from my job that I was working at. Um, but I didn't like most people didn't realize it would last till now obviously didn't know how crazy mm-hmm. this shit was gonna be right. we all got furloughed off our entire um building closed it's not reopening until february um wow. yeah they closed they, we were one of the first companies to close i mean they was not playing no games um so you know immediately out on that unemployment um was not playing about that that unemployment was looking cute for a while um and my boyfriend had he's in the uh, military so he got stationed in um Athens so that he could work on the relief or whatever and I was by myself literally for about a month um pretty much throughout the entire day um I would really only see him at night and he would be gone next morning like it would be it was crazy I, I was in true solitude And within that solitude, I was really, really able to be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to start my production company this year and say, fuck it, and just try this shit because why not? I was like, you know what? Anything I produce, I'm just going to say it's under my production company and build it up. Like, I don't, you don't, I don't have to already be big. I don't have to be Diddy to then do something big. I can just do it and build it up. So that's where the idea came from. I always had it in, but I was like, now was time. You know, everybody was had that 
that juice in the beginning of um Hell the pandemic. Yeah. Like, if you come out of this pandemic, what a hobby, you know, woo, woo, woo. like everybody <laughs> had that like an adrenaline rush, like, yeah, 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 we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. Okay, we got and time so today. <laughs> we had time. So I had that um that kind of motivational push and I had got a really big settlement from um from unemployment and I used a portion of the money to invest in a trademark um for the company name, which is still in process. Did not know how long this process took, by the way. It's a very long legal process. But I went ahead and I was like, I'm just go ahead and trademark this name just in case I really blow up on these folks. And you will. So um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to launch it on my birthday. And I did that. Um, I had a little, you know, crew with me. And that's what we did. And it kind of just worked. I was like, you know, what What are the basics of a production company? You know, what do I need? And blah, blah, blah. And it kind of just went from there. Wow. So I want commend you for the launch you know i'm a supporter and an extra if you need one okay let me find out <laughs> <laughs> but i guess uh i don't know i know like the ins and outs like like the very surface level so, so like i can speak to like oh producer but i don't really know what producers do like from what i hear like producers like are like the managers on set like they get everything yeah. done um and then i know script writers but i kind of know script writers because it's like is there a difference between script and screenwriter, the director? Like, it's just so much into it. Like, what is encompassed inside Ring of Bell Productions? Does it encompass all of that? Like, do you do it all yourself? Like, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, so we're definitely on the, the smaller scale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, we're in no way, you know, staffed like, you know, <laughs> TP Studios or Warner <laughs> Brother, Paramount, of course. Um, but... I knew I needed a few things specifically. I needed someone to work a camera mm-hmm. professionally um, because I know my strengths and my weaknesses and that Amen. is a weakness of mine. I'm, I'm not a cinematographer. I know what I want to see and I know how I want it to look, but I am not a cinematographer. So I needed that. I needed someone who has the same um, view as me as far as direction and um, screenwriting. So I needed that. I needed someone to help with logistics and keep me on track because I can't do everything. So I needed kind of like in a way, uh, almost like an assistant. I needed someone as like an associate producer style. Um, that's what I needed. So I reached out to friends of mine who I knew um, wanted to be within the industry, but also would want to do things like this and wanted to start something. And um we kind of had a conversation, let them know what I'm trying to do. We all had a meeting and kind of discussed ideas and everything. And before we knew, we just kind of launched. And um, just kind of to answer your second point, like kind of how it works with us. Um, we're currently in, I guess you could say, pre-production mm-hmm. for a web series that um, I wrote, me and my friend, who's um, a co-founder, Dwight. Um, we wrote this and it took us about a year and a half to write it um, mainly because there's just so much going on and yeah. uh, you know creatives we like to take our time and procrastinate so we finally finished and we had a script I'm like okay so we did our auditions and everything um, what's really important is that you really have that team and we're really doing it on our own it's four people doing everything that a production company would do. So it is a lot. Um, 
but going forward when we actually have production days we're going to expand and we're going to expand our crew because there's no way we could actually shoot a full out production with one cinematographer you know we need people on our crew so we're going to kind of reach out and expand in that you know in that respect but um as far as right now the immediate team is just it's just us four so it, it's lots yeah the, the producer definitely is more like the manager of a production um crew they basically handle the logistics the hiring all of that kind of stuff um directors is literally the person who brings the script to life the visual of it what does this person look like what does this what does this scene look like i have the words right here on my paper but i need to make it real where are they walking to when they say these things where are they looking you know how are their emotions kind of really bring that to life of course you know screen playwriters um they really just get the dialogue and the emotions on paper and all together that group of people make it what you see on on screen well that's good to know because lord knows i was just like so do producers like technically produce like so do they edit the content and like go through it and all that or is that like a separate thing that y'all do or like I think it depends on the production and how they like how much producers have um, their hand in it because we know like a lot of celebrities produce things but a lot of the times they don't actually really they're not there for the day to day they're kind of there just as the the money because a lot of times especially if a celebrity is producing it they also Uh give money to contribute and stuff Um, so it really depends on your role as a producer for me specifically in this project of course I'm going to be there every step of the way because I'm also acting as the director um so it really depends like for example with um this new show Lovecraft Mm. uh, Lovecraft Country there's a lot of producers many producers because it's a this is a big show it's a big cast a big crew I know that they have to have a very large production team Mm. so as far as who gets the final say I'm, I'm you know you really don't know until you actually interview the staff um, I know a lot of times if the director has a bigger name than a the producer, they get the final say. If the producer has a bigger name than a the director, uh-huh. they kind of get final say. So like, mm, like sometimes they're they're sometimes they're over each other, but it really depends on it really depends on the project and the names specifically within Hollywood. Because if Will Smith is producing it and a a lower level person who you've never heard of is directing it. Um, they may not have as much say so as you would think only because this is going to be um it's going to be promoted as a will smith production his right. name is attached to it so you know he's going to have some type of hand in how it looks and things like that and the final the final imaging of it that makes a lot of sense okay that makes sense because uh before like like I said, I know surface level shit when it comes to the film industry, but I've never like known like the difference in dialogue and shit. And like that's so interesting too, because so many celebrities are I'm an executive producer on this. I'm like, but like you produce like you a producer, like mm-hmm. what are you, you on set every day? Right, probably not. Mm-hmm. No, you donate it. You're a donor. Oh. Which I mean Where we still you need to donation. Which is great. Good, you know, make your phone calls, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean much all the time. Right. Yeah, I, I worked on. I donate. I produced a lot of black films by black directors. Okay, Brad. Yeah, it's sounding like Kenya Moore. <laughs> yeah, God with the Fabulous, my production studio. 
It's I mean, not psychotic. I've produced many films, many films. And commercials and And made that. millions of dollars from them. Thank you. And a workout tape. <laughs> forget it <laughs> yeah that's hilarious so um more specifically i know there's like a lack of black people in the film industry um and i think in this recent like end of the last decade beginning of this decade we've seen a rise in black women in just coming up and doing the damn thing yes. email rap all that shit so I, I would like to talk about like the black woman in the film industry, because if there's a lack of black people, how much of a lack of black women is? Because we know back in the day, and even today, like sexism is so real. Like women don't get as many of the opportunities that men do just off the strength of their gender. So like, how is that mm-hmm. for you and, your, and in your experience and like finding that representation? Like, well, you want to be represented. You don't want to just see someone that has the same skin color as you. You want someone that looks like you and understand the things that you've yeah. been through. So like, how is that? It's, it's what you would expect with any field. Um, so women of color are the, is the lowest number of directors and producers within Hollywood, is. the lowest possible number. Um, and then there's black women. Um, what I love about, you know, now is a lot of people now are starting to do more so independent work, mm-hmm. um, which has, was really hard back in the day. If you didn't have a major studio supporting you, it was damn near impossible to get anything done. Um, and especially when you're pushing against the status quo, you would also, you could get blackballed and stuff. Like, it was really hard. But what I see now is a lot of um, Black people doing things on the independent level or just trying a different thing, especially now with streaming that has completely opened the door for so many uh, possibilities because you don't, you don't have to rely on those companies. Um, Because a lot of the times a lot of people don't know is with these major production studios is they will say, well, it's not marketable. We can't put this in theaters. Nobody's going to come see it. So that would block a lot of movies, a lot of shows, a lot of things from being um, produced because it's like, we don't think it's going to make money in the box office. But now the box office is so different. It's so changed because we have streaming. Like streaming really, really, really helped a lot of people. And it really opened the door because it's not. And then now it's not just Netflix. We don't just have Netflix. We have so many things. And so it's allowed people to be like, okay, well, but it's going to do numbers. You know, I can go to HBO and I can get this marketed i can really sell this to people so it's kind of open the door in that sense um it's really important that we get more black women because for example um yes we have tyler perry who is um he's remarkable i'll say that um i think tyler perry it, i, I <laughs> tyler perry deserves a lot of credit and I don't want to take that away from him. He has done a lot um, for Black people in film and television. He has employed a lot of Black people in film and television. And I think that that's important. I mean, his new studio is not just for Tyler Perry Studios. He actually allows other studios to come and film. So that's great. Like, that brings a lot of money to Georgia and brings a lot of more jobs. So again, had to get that out the way. Um, however... A black man continually writing black women's stories 
is going to be the same outcome. We are not properly represented by Tyler Perry. And I don't think he necessarily does it on purpose. I would hate to speak for him in that way. But at this point, it's coming across that you just don't know how to write for Black women, which is okay because you're not a Black woman. Right. But he has also let us know multiple times that he refuses to open his doors to the writing room. And it's clear because I've watched some of these things. And um, for, for example, the sisters, 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 the new age girlfriends, new age girlfriends. I watched a small clip. And when I tell you, I was like, listen, what the hell? It was so unauthentic and so unnatural. Like, mm-hmm. We do not talk like that. It's just so characterized. It was horrible. It was horrible. And a lot of his issues that he has within the Black community right now, like he's being called out for a lot of things. Like a lot of people um, are critiquing him. And a lot of that could be eliminated if he simply allowed Black women in the writer's Mm -hmm. room. If he simply allowed people to edit his themes. If he simply allowed people in. But I think he is just so used to doing everything on his own from the way he, you know, started out that mm-hmm. he's not, he doesn't want to do that. He's like, no, I can do it on my own. I got it, I got it, I got it. And it's like, you don't, you don't got it. And he knows that, you know, his stuff is, his stuff is marketable to a very specific group of people. Hello. My aunties are those group of people. <laughs> Mine too. Um, shit. No. My mama sometimes. Face, face, Facebook goers, you know, <laughs> a very specific group of black folks, you know. Um, and because he knows that those people, his core fans are going to always watch his stuff, he don't care. Mm-hmm. And he said that. And it's kind of just it's lazy to me because yeah, your core fans like you, but don't you want to expand? Don't you want the entire black community to feel you? Don't you want to be really representative of of another group of people? It's just kind of like, he don't give a fuck. Do you think a lot of times kind of with like the token Negro aspect of it, a lot of times black men, instead of elevating their community and including more people, they'll just keep it to themselves just for the sake of like, well, I'm the only one that's been able to do this. I'm the only one that's done that. It's like more people could do it if you help because you've been the only one. Clearly you're the gatekeeper right now. We have a real serious issue. We're still, unfortunately, bounded <laughs> we have the shackles on our feet and they are being held by capitalism in our community we Hell want yeah. to hold on to capitalism so bad because we've been lied to and we still believe that once we get to a certain level of success all of our problems are gone and we are now um closest ever to white folks when really we just make this with money honestly so you see that time and time again that when Certain folks get money, they all of a sudden start acting like they don't know what's going on. For example, Diddy. She's a child. Child. Trying to now create a political party. 
you don't know what the hell you doing. You don't but because have, you have money, but because you have money, you feel as though you have um, the expertise, and it's like y- you don't have that. Now you want to teach a business class, you do that. Maybe you, you should do that. Maybe you and should. And you should. <laughs> you talking about doing a political party? Where's your education? There are people who have yes. studied this. I was just about to say, a lot of people think money defeats, like it minimizes the qualifications. No. Politics, you, Donald Trump, prime example, he thought he could run a country like a business off the strength of his background. No. Motherfuckers go to law school for a reason because they know the law. And in order exactly. to implement the law and to decide shit, you need to know the law. You don't need, a, a country is not a business. It's so, it, it, it infuriates me because I see this so much with black people yes. on so many different levels. As soon as they get a lot of money, they start acting reckless. And it's like, what makes you think this money has now given you some type of credibility in every, in, in every field all of a sudden? Why are you now turning your back on your community, the community that you came from? Y'all wasn't always rich. At all. I wasn't always like this. And it's like, it's, 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 it's unfortunate because we could, we could progress so much quicker if we took them shackles off our feet. The capitalism shackles. Uh, I mean, the shackles of the capital. Lord Jesus, I, I wish, I, I want us to be free so bad, but um, a lot of us want to be billionaires, even though that is statistically impossible. So let's talk about that. Cause I think a lot of that, like, and this is pretty much on topic still, entrepreneurship as a whole. Cause like one, one thing I'm trying to do with this podcast is like reach out to a lot of black people in general and interview them about their entrepreneurial ventures. Cause I feel like exposure is great. Like the more, if my network, if I can help you in any way, get more investors or audience for you, whatever you're doing, that's good mm-hmm. for me. And I think this movement of entrepreneur is heavily influenced by capital, capitalism and the potential of being a billionaire because you see Issa Rae, she started with a YouTube series and now she's doing great things and all these other aspects of it. And I also think we also live in a generation where we don't really want the man telling us what to do and how to do it. Do mm-hmm. you think this kind of like goes against what we should be going towards. Like, I'm all for people, you know, pursuing the American dream and doing what you want. But if it's rooted in capitalism, which much of our lives is, is this really a benefit? Should we be second-guessing what we're doing since it's rooted in what's essentially causing our demise as a community? Mm -hmm. You should always be very cautious of, like, the way people speak. And people who are very overly obsessed with becoming a millionaire and a billionaire... Um, be cautious of those people because those are the same people that once they do become millionaires and billionaires, if they become millionaires and billionaires, they will vote against their interests. Mm-hmm. Look at black people who are Republicans, the small percentage that are, um, and look at their tax bracket. And that'll yes. tell you exactly what's going on. A lot of black Republicans are in that upper percentile of wealth. And that's how it happens because they now feel like well, I don't need welfare no more, so I'm not going to vote for that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to vote for these tax cuts. I'm going to vote for that because at the end of the day, I want to interest me, and it becomes about me because um, America is so 
so for individualism that it just takes away so much. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, I'm at this point where I'm, you know, an entrepreneur, but at the same time, what are, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Do you want to be an entrepreneur so that you can be a, a millionaire and a billionaire? Or do you want to be an entrepreneur because you truly have a service or product or whatever that you believe in that you really want to take to the next level and you want to be the person to do that because there's nothing easy about being an entrepreneur i don't know why I, it's become almost this like facade on twitter or whatever that mm -hmm. it's easy and then it's just this thing i decided to do over weekend and now all of a sudden i'm gonna take a picture of all these packages on my floor and i'm a millionaire next in, in the next week and it's like it's so extremely hard to be an entrepreneur because of the amount of money and capital you have to put in on your own first, right. the time you have to put into it. And, um, I think that a lot of people, like I said, just want to do that so that they can be rich. And I totally understand where they're coming from, especially for people who don't come from a lot of money or don't come from a stable, um, a financially stable household. They want something different and they want to you know that financial stability but you can have financial stability without being a millionaire and a billionaire yes because excess wealth which i don't think is i'm not gonna say i feel like i'd be going against so i think excess wealth is it's a bad thing when you have a lot of money it's more problems and like you said you forget who you are with this money and you said something earlier about black people with money think they're closer to white people i don't understand why white people is the point we're trying to measure up to or compare ourselves to because why is that Look at their morale. Is that where you want to be? Right. Look at history. I, I never understood why people do that. Like, I have to be a millionaire. I have to be a millionaire. I have to be a... Because once you get to a certain amount of point, a certain amount of money, and you continue to have them, and you continue to grow your wealth, you continue, and you hoard it, mm -hmm. what does that say about you? Because there are people who are literally starving in the streets. There are people who don't have anywhere to sleep, and you're not doing anything contributing. And I hate this mindset that, oh, we can't tell people to do with their, with their, with their money. Yes, we can. Yeah. Well, yes, we, we can. can. I, and I'm going to do, do it. Do. I'm going to do it. Because if the government's telling you what to do with your money. Mm -hmm. That's why you're voting for tax that, breaks. Right. Remember they told you that healthcare is a, a, a privilege, not a right, and that you mm -hmm. should save money so that you can pay for your own healthcare. Remember that? They're telling you what to do with your money, and I'm going to tell you what to do with your millions and billions. Right. There's no reason that Jeff Bezos should be the richest man in the world, and he can literally solve issues with the snap of a finger and still be the richest man in the world. Still, There's no reason that. to have that money. That money is not even, it's, it's inconceivable. It's not even real. It's not even real. If he, he wanted to liquidate all, all that. funds right now, if he wanted to liquidate everything right now for cash, he could not do it because it don't exist. That and it does not exist. And, and a lot of people that think it's okay and live on that mindset, mindset, they, like you said, have this idea that one day that'll be me. The difference between you and a lot of these billionaires, prime example, I'm starting at Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, Adrian, she's like the glue of the group. I would say like the Nini, mm -hmm. the one that brings everybody together in this first season. Her, she has a family business, the Malloy business. She owns a basketball team. She owns, uh, she has just in different industries. A lot of that's family wealth. So if you don't come from that, it's going to be very hard to get to that point because mm -hmm. a lot of it outside of just starting a business, a lot of people are starting these entrepreneurial ventures with a loan. 
Donald Trump a small million dollar loan. To, like he's already a million steps ahead. He's a million dollars ahead of you in this business. So you not only have to catch up, but then you still have to catch up to that point at which he started. And a lot of people don't look at that because America and society has kind of told us like, if you work hard, if you give your all to this, you can do it. And You're, I you have to too. break it to we'll have you. It, it, it don't work like that. It specifically don't work like that in black America because you could have all that no. money and still lose your life for walking down the street. And then what happens to the money? Because the money don't go with you when you leave. So then what? Do you want it donated then? Or, or, or only because you're dead? Because as long as you're alive, you want to make sure it's still yours and you can do what you want. That's why I like... Yeah. And I think a lot of people also try and kind of hide behind the idea of, oh, it's, it's only because, you know, I need to be a millionaire so I can build generational wealth, generational wealth. And that's the new hot slogan of, of Black America. But what they don't understand is generational wealth is not all, is not all money. Mm-hmm. It's assets, houses, it's, it's assets. properties. Pro- property is number one. Land. Leaving your, leaving your children with something. Mm-hmm. something away even even leaving your children with a, a plan like i've seen um now this can go one of two ways but i've <laughs> seen sure a lot of parents that will like you know have a credit card in their child's name like i said it can go one of two ways now you shouldn't do this if you're gonna fuck your kids credit up right because <laughs> your credit already fucked up Them <laughs> white bills in them baby's names you ain't gonna pay for it now you're only gonna put 40 dollars on the bill and not pay it in full honey <laughs> Don't do that to them babies. But doing that, that's building generational wealth. That way, when they get to a certain level and they, a certain point to where they're, you know, breaking free from, you know, the parental stage, they already have a point. Because I can tell you, I had zero credit mm-hmm. by the time I got out of um, high school. I had no, I couldn't, what I had, like, it was some bullshit because I've never had anything. It's not necessarily my parents' fault, but that's just how we start. That's how yes. black people start off. We start off with bad credit. Agreed. We start with bad credit. We start off with no savings, no mm-hmm. assets, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So when you start there, it's, it's really, really hard to get there. It's really hard to get to a, a certain place and then build on top of that. So generational mm-hmm. wealth is not just leaving your child millions and millions of dollars. It's leaving them with an educational background on how to maintain your family mm-hmm. legacy and money. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the money. It's a full plan teaching your children about real financial literacy and mm-hmm. understanding how to honestly play this game of America mm-hmm. and capitalism. And, and it's, it's sucky because we have to do that because our schools don't. Because I can tell you, I didn't learn any of this in school. Oh, hell no. I didn't know. I didn't understand uh, the concept of car notes and payments and all of that until I got in one. Yeah, look, honey, and the interest rate, and that's the thing, I think people don't really understand what interest is, because when you don't have credit and you're trying to establish credit, that interest rate, fucking ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. And then when you, you drive in this nice car, but when people ask how much you pay in car insurance and shit, as mind you, the insurance industry, I think is extremely racist because there's no reason my amount should be higher for being young and black. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, and the area you live in is crazy. Like the it, color of the I car mean, you drive in general is a damn scam. But you know, it's the law to have it. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's all a scam. It's some bullshit. It's some bullshit. So, 
Girl, man, that's a whole nother episode on generational wealth okay. and financial bullshit that they did not tell you because mm-hmm. I really feel like in co- college, and even if you were a finance major, because most of the people that went to Hampton, that finance, they do Forex right now and iMarkets Live and I, that's a whole nother. <laughs> Ooh, you Jesus. know what? Because I immediately saw the flyers in my head. <laughs> I immediately saw the party promo flyers <laughs> announcing that they are now level 1,000, 5,000C. P600. P600. Like, <laughs> but no, I'm not going to get on that. That is a whole nother podcast episode. So, because I have things to say. <laughs> I need to be heard and you need to share this with your friends. That's an episode coming. And I, what I would love to do, I would love to do, this might be something that'll work. Be you with somebody in iMarkets Live with the case. The case is going to be a court case on Zoom. You will be <laughs> the plaintiff. They will be the defendant. <laughs> All right, that's Miss Girl. It's Miss Toller. <laughs> Yo, that would be amazing. Out of order. Out of order. Out of order. It's, you know what? I'm going to leave that be. But what? Thank you for this amazing, insightful conversation. I. I loved it. Let's 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 get into these rapid questions though. So how rapid questions goes? Typically, you should say the first thing that comes to mind. But I mean, you can think on it because I know sometimes the questions will be, wait, oh shit, let me think about this real quick. Because seven, seven is the number of completion. But it's really cool. It's really fun. I love doing it, and I think it allows the audience to get to know you a little better. So you ready? Okay. Yes. All right. First, you kind of already said this, but. What is your zodiac sign and do you embody the stereotype of that sign? I'm a Gemini and literally 100%. I'm a Gemini through and through May 30th. <laughs> hey, I made Gemini. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what is a common misconception that people often get wrong about you? Um, that I'm, um, because I am very social and I am very kind of loud, um, that I don't get nervous or shy. I'm, I have extreme social anxiety and I get really, really nervous and really, really shy really, really quick to the point where I will have a nervous breakdown. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I didn't I, know that. It's something I really kind of have to work on. It's really, it's really weird because it depends on the setting and the people that I'm around, uh-huh. but I clam up and I have to really, have to really work on it, but I will have a nervous breakdown and a panic attack. God bless you. I'm so sorry. It's okay though. It's okay. But you know, I'm, I'm working through it. through it. I'm working through it. I'd be better though. You got this. All right. So, what is something that interests you that others people that others would be? Oh my God! Hold the fuck up. What's going on? What is something that interests you that others would be surprised to hear? Um. Ooh, something that interests me that others would be surprised to hear. Um. Oh, shit, that's hard. Um, I really love learning about serial killers. Um, I don't know. I just think it's very interesting. I, I really enjoy anything about serial killers. I don't enjoy their murders. Like, please don't murder people. But I'm going to read about it after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting. I don't know. Strange. Yeah. And, and, like, I feel like with that, when you go back and assess their life, you can kind of point the red flags that happened yeah. that could have prevented It's really it. interesting. It's like, wow, it could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> you play too much. <laughs> All right. <Right> <laughs> What's the last book that you read? 
Well, could it be I'm currently reading? Yeah, that's that's fine. Okay. So I'm currently reading um, Songs of Solomon. Tony Morrison. <gasps> oh, Tony Morrison. Yes, Rest in power to her. Let me tell you something. Her books, I read The Bluest Eye for summer reading, and Jesus, I ain't been oh, right since. Listen. I ain't been right since. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen, <laughs> I got to reread that one. Ain't going to lie to you. Got to take it through it. Yeah, Jesus, my God. Okay, <laughs> what's one song or artist that has been constant in your playlist lately? Stevie Wonder. I've been on a Stevie Wonder binge. I love me some Stevie. I'm, Michael Jackson and Beyonce are like constants. I will never stop listening to them. Like I don't, I can't not listen to them on a daily. But there are some um, I get in these like moods and. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, I'm in Stevie Wonder mode. I feel that. that that's, that's classics, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the last series or movie you watched? Right now, I'm watching Lovecraft Country. And wow. Oh, you said or movies? Or movies, yeah. Yeah, I just watched The Trial of the um, Chicago 7. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Jesus. My God. All right. Last question. What's one important lesson that quarantine has taught you? Time is not real. <laughs> Child, that's it. Time that's is, the one. Time is not real. Um, your timing is real, honestly. I love that. Time is not real. Your timing is real. Now that, see, she be dropping gems, okay? I told y'all. I told y'all. Wow. <laughs> Quote me. <laughs> <laughs> wow but thank you so much like this has been a great conversation i can't wait to listen to this and re-edit it and like and go back through it and, like oh my god this is amazing where can the people follow you like where can people like if they want to engage and like hear more about you and what your thought process is yeah so you can follow me on instagram and twitter at underscore i am jamila and my production company is ringabell.productions and on YouTube, just Jamila Bell, simply. Simply? Simply, you heard simply it. Simply me, simply me. <laughs> wow, I love this. I love this so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much just for pouring accent. I thank you a million times, but no, this is great. <laughs> I am so excited like to see what else you do in the future and have you back on the podcast. Like, this is amazing. Okay, have me back. You know I love to talk. Love you and me both, okay? It's gonna be a good one, okay? But thanks okay. so much. Of course, talk to you later. Bye.